Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. And today, I'm bringing you the conclusion of the case of Amani Moss in Gwinnett County, Georgia. If you haven't heard part one, skip back one episode and meet us right back here. And with that being said, let's get right to it. Let's pick up right where we left off. The last report to Department of Families and Children was made by Amani's Auntie Sharonice after Amani's father, Aman, told his sister that Tiffany Moss would be homeschooling the little girl that year. Sharonice reported that she was concerned Amani was being neglected. The last time she had seen her was Mother's Day, but when she had, Amani was thin and her hair had been cut. That report was made August 6th 2013. The following month in September, the Moss family moved out of Tiffany's mother Pearlie's house and into apartments on Veranda Chase Drive. Amani was now isolated from her paternal grandmother and auntie. School and Amon was now working two full-time jobs and practically never home. She was at that apartment with her stepmother, Tiffany Moss, and the two younger children Tiffany shared with Amon. On November 2, 2013, at 3.43 a.m., Amon Moss called 911 and told the dispatcher that his daughter was dead after she had, quote, drank some chemicals and died. According to court testimony, when responding officers arrived, Amon was in the parking lot of the Veranda Chase Apartments, near a small picnic and grilling area. Amon pointed in the direction of the grassy area to two black garbage bags and a tin trash can. When officers lifted the lid off the metal trash can, they found the charred remains of 10-year-old Amani Moss. But if Amani Moss had died from ingesting chemicals in some type of tragic accident as Amon had tried to make it sound, how had her tiny body ended up burned and discarded in a trash can? And where was his wife Tiffany and the other two children? As you can imagine, police immediately knew Amon was lying. Responding officers notified homicide detectives, and an investigation was launched. As both the scene where Amani's body had been found, as well as the apartment were being processed, another team of detectives went to locate Tiffany. Amon told them she had gone to her mother's house, so detectives raced over to Pearlie Brashears. But by the time they arrived, Tiffany was gone. Detectives had just missed her. Pearlie was there with the other two children and she told officers what had just happened. According to Pearlie's testimony, in the early morning hours of that November 2nd day, Tiffany showed up with the two younger children unannounced. When she arrived, she seemed stressed and upset and told her mom not to let them, them being the police, take her kids. She also told her mother that Amani was dead. She brought in the kids' car seats from the Chevy Trailblazer she shared with Amon, along with clothes for both of her children. She went into her sister Brittany's room, woke her up, and said she needed help and that they were coming to get her. In all of the chaos, Tiffany misplaced the keys to the Trailblazer, so they hopped in Brittany's car and Brittany followed Tiffany's directions. Brittany claimed she had no idea where they were going, and at some point they ended up in an area with a lot of trees and a gate like an apartment complex. Tiffany got out of the car and told Brittany how to get back home, but at some point she got lost, although she eventually did make her way back to Pearlie's. When she arrived, police were already there, and initially Brittany lied to police about driving Tiffany. The scene at Pearlie's and the Chevy Trailblazer were also processed for evidence. Amon Moss had been taken into custody and down to police headquarters to talk to investigator Colin Flynn, who was now the lead investigator on Amani's case. 
By the time he sat down for the initial interview, he had already learned of Tiffany Moss's previous charges and the multiple police reports involving Amani. At first, he let Amon Moss talk, and he told the same story he had told officers on scene, the bullshit about Amani ingesting chemicals. But his statements were all over the place, and his story didn't make a lick of sense. As investigator Flynn and his partner began to press Amon, he stated multiple times that he was covering for his wife Tiffany. But covering what? After an hour of back and forth, Detective Flynn excused himself and attended the autopsy of Amani Moss. Within the first few moments of the postmortem exam, it was apparent that what had happened to Amani Moss was far more horrific than an accidental ingestion of chemicals. There was no doubt in the mind of the medical examiner or the investigator that this little girl had been abused, tortured, and ultimately murdered. Amani's body was extremely emaciated. The girl only weighed 32 pounds. According to the medical examiner, a 10-year-old child on average weighs between 54 and 103 pounds. Amani's arms were so frail and thin at the time of her death, they measured only 4 centimeters in width on the upper part near the bicep. To put that in perspective, two U.S. pennies side by side would be roughly 4 centimeters. The medical examiner also noted Amani's face was cachetic in appearance. According to Cancer.gov, cachexia is a wasting syndrome that leads to loss of skeletal muscle and fat which is usually associated with a chronic illness or advanced cancer. But Amani Moss didn't suffer from any chronic illness. She had been starved. That was evident upon examination of her internal organs. Amani's liver weighed half of what a normal liver for a child her age should weigh. Her spleen was half the size it should have been, and her kidneys were also stunted. The medical examiner also found that Amani's skeletal muscles were extremely atrophied. This level of emaciation had taken an extended period of time. Amani had clung to life for as long as she could before her body had just shut down. In addition to being slowly starved, Amani also had additional injuries, including an 8 by 8.5 inch burn to her stomach. As we've established, Amani was small in stature. This 8 by 8 burn covered her entire abdomen and went down to her groin and extended up to her chest. The medical examiner determined that the burn had occurred sometime prior to Amani's death since it had begun to heal. She also determined that this was a first or second degree burn, which would have been very painful. A burn that Amani should have received medical treatment for, but of course she hadn't. And further, Amani Moss had a bed sore on her left buttock, which also would have been painful. This was another indication that Amani's death had been slow and agonizing. The callous indifference to Amani's very existence by her father and stepmother, Tiffany, was abundantly clear. It was also clear that even after her death, Tiffany and Amon couldn't have cared less about Amani. The little girl's arms and legs had been duct taped together so that her tiny body would fit in that trash can. She had then been wrapped in black plastic garbage bags. And that wasn't even the half of it. Charcoal briquettes were found at the bottom of the trash can under Amani's body. Her body had been doused in an accelerant and set on fire. The little girl's hands and feet had been charred and the smell of lighter fluid was overwhelming. The medical examiner had more testing to do to completely rule out Amon's story of what had happened, and that would take a little more time. But Investigator Flynn had seen enough. He headed back into the interview room to talk to Amon Moss again. As you can imagine, at that point in time, the tone of the interview changed significantly, and Amon Moss was confronted with what Investigator Flynn had just witnessed at Amani's autopsy. Eventually, he confessed. According to Detective Flynn, at one point he leaned back and said, 
I'm guilty, I'm guilty. I killed my baby. He went on to say that Amani started having seizures on October 24th and couldn't move, and that instead of seeking medical attention, he and Tiffany Moss put her in bed and didn't give her food or medicine. Amon claimed they were afraid of taking Amani to the hospital because she was so thin. They knew they'd go to jail. According to Amon, seven days later, Amani Moss died. And remember how during the first half of that interview, Amon kept saying he was covering for his wife? Well, that was no longer the case, and he was now trying to place all the blame on Tiffany. But it wouldn't work. And Amon Moss was arrested on felony murder, cruelty to a child, and concealing a death. Later that afternoon of November 2nd, Roswell police officer Frederick Austin was on traffic control on Holcomb Bridge Road. He was sitting in the center turn lane at Old Scott Road, which is pretty close to the Gwinnett Fulton County line. As the officer was monitoring traffic, he heard a tap on the left rear side of the vehicle. When he turned to look, he saw a female standing outside his car. She had clearly walked from wherever she came from as there was no vehicle in sight, just a woman standing there tapping on the officer's window. She told him she needed to talk to him, so he asked her to move to a nearby church parking lot and out of the middle of the road. After they were in a safe location, Officer Austin asked how he could help and the female said, the police need to talk to me. According to the officer's later testimony, the woman appeared normal, not anxious, or afraid. She provided the officer with identification. The name on the ID? Tiffany Moss. And though she had sought out the officer, she wasn't exactly forthcoming with information, and when asked why the police wanted to talk to her, she wouldn't give a straightforward answer. So the officer tried another approach and began to go down a line of questioning. When he got to the question, is anyone hurt or deceased? Tiffany answered, yes, my stepdaughter. And eventually, she also revealed that her husband had been arrested. By this time, the officer's partner had arrived and going by the address on Tiffany's ID, began Googling to see if there were any news reports of a child death in Gwinnett County and the officer found an article about Amon's arrest. It had already hit the news. A call was placed to Gwinnett County 911, and it was confirmed that investigators in Gwinnett definitely wanted to talk to Tiffany Moss. A Gwinnett County officer came to pick Tiffany up and transported her back to police headquarters. But unlike Amon, Tiffany refused to talk to police. She was arrested and charged with felony murder child cruelty, and concealing a body. According to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Amani's grandmother, Robin, who had fought for her in life, had to continue to fight in court even after her granddaughter's death. You see, after her death, Amani's birth mother came forward and tried to claim her body and estate. But this time, Robin won in court. If only the courts had ruled in Robin's favor while Amani was still alive. Amani Gabrielle Moss was laid to rest on Wednesday, November 13, 2013. As Amani's grandmother and extended family gathered to mourn her loss, investigators continued to build a case against Amon and Tiffany. And build a case they did. Gwinnett County District Attorney Danny Porter soon announced that both Tiffany and Amon Moss faced the death penalty. The DA stated this case warranted the death penalty because torture was involved, and Amani Moss had been kept from eating for as many as a dozen days. He went on to say Amani's death was the worst case of child abuse he'd ever seen. Initially, Amon and Tiffany both pled not guilty to their charges. But in June of 2015, Amon struck a deal with prosecutors. He pled guilty to felony murder, first-degree child cruelty, and concealing a body, and agreed to testify against his wife. In exchange, the death penalty was taken off the table, and Amon Moss was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. 
At his sentencing, Amon read a letter addressed to Amani, reading in part, Daddy made a terrible mistake, and he is very sorry from the bottom of my heart. It was enough to gag a maggot, considering the fact that Daddy had sat by and watched as his wife slowly starved his daughter to death. And the fact that he called it a mistake. You make mistakes on math equations, deliberately starving one child while ensuring two other children in the household are fed and cared for isn't a mistake. It's premeditated murder. But at the very least, Amon had half-ass owned up to what he had done, even if it was to save his own skin. Tiffany, on the other hand, didn't, and a trial date was set. Initially, Tiffany was assigned defense counsel, but in November of 2017, she notified the court that she wanted to represent herself. Gwinnett County Superior Court Judge George Hutchinson delayed the trial and ordered a competency hearing, which found that Tiffany Moss was competent to stand trial. According to WLBT3 News, in another pretrial hearing, Judge Hutchinson explained to Tiffany that she needed legal counsel stating, they are seeking to have you executed, and I can't be more blunt than to say they are trying to have you killed. That's just as serious as it can possibly get, and I think it's best that you have an attorney. Will you reconsider? Tiffany responded, I'm confident in my decision and I'm standing by it. I do wish to represent myself. The judge continued, is there anything you need from the court? Any additional orders or efforts on my part that would assist you in your preparation for trial? Pencils, Tiffany responded. Not quite believing his own ears, the judge asked, You need pencils? Judge Hutchinson said he'd make sure some writing instruments were made available to her and asked if there was anything else. Tiffany answered, That's all I can think of right now, Your Honor. In subsequent hearings, Judge Hutchinson continued to express to Tiffany that she needed legal counsel, but Tiffany repeatedly refused and said it was God's will for her to represent herself. Why bring God into it now when besides the fact that these two seemingly use the church as a dating service, God had clearly been left out up and until this point? Judge Hutchinson couldn't legally impose legal counsel on Tiffany after she had been deemed competent, so he did the only thing he could do and ruled that Tiffany could represent herself. He also appointed the two capital defenders who had previously represented her as standby counsel. They wouldn't be presenting evidence or a defense, but would be available during the trial for consultation if she wanted. Those two standby defenders filed an appeal on the judge's ruling and attempted to have the case heard by the Supreme Court, but their appeal was rejected, the court never hearing the case. And with that, in April of 2019, Tiffany Moss's trial began, with Tiffany acting as her own lawyer. As I said before, investigators had put together a hell of a case one that District Attorney Danny Porter laid out before the jury in opening statements. The District Attorney briefly detailed the history of abuse and neglect perpetrated by Tiffany Moss against Amani, all while she cared for the other two children, making sure they were fed and clothed, often sending photos of food and the new recipes she prepared for her two children to Amon while her stepdaughter starved to death in the next room. And how, even after Amani had died alone in her bed, Tiffany and Amon had left her decomposing in a bedroom while they went on with life, Amon going to work and Tiffany dressing up the other two children and taking them trick-or-treating, while they devised a plan to get rid of Amani's body and claim she had just ran away again. And the state had mountains of evidence to back up those claims. Detective King testified about the abuse case against Tiffany all the way back in 2010 and how after Tiffany was found guilty of child cruelty, she blamed Amani for the loss of her job and the fact that she'd be on probation for the next five years. 
Robin Moss also testified about the abuse and how she had fought to keep her granddaughter in her custody, including those calls to Department of Families and Children reporting suspected abuse. Robin told the jury about the Mother's Day visit when Amani's hair had been cut and how Tiffany told her when she asked about it, if you act ugly, you should look ugly. Other officers who had responded on the various occasions Amani had attempted to save herself also testified, detailing how Tiffany had claimed Amani was resentful of her and her two new siblings, something we already know wasn't true, and the jury soon would too, because Amani's fourth grade teacher later took the stand and testified that Amani adored her baby brother and was so proud of him. It was well established through testimony that a history of abuse existed, and that Tiffany twisted things to make it appear as if Amani was just a troubled child, and that she blamed the 10-year-old for everything that went wrong in her life. As the prosecution presented fact after fact and witness after witness testified, Tiffany Moss sat at the defense table alone, emotionless, jotting down notes, her standby defense seated in the gallery. She made no opening statement, questioned no witnesses, and objected to nothing. She did carefully look over exhibits as the state entered them into evidence, but again objected to nothing. On the second day of the trial, April 25, 2019, the prosecution asked the judge to confirm with the defendant that she had access to discovery. Tiffany confirmed that she did, and her stand-in counsel said all the files were still in the locker room, and she hadn't accessed them in a year. Her stand-in counsel then questioned her decision to represent herself, and the judge noted that during proceedings thus far, she had been polite and attentive. And the trial resumed. Amon Moss took the stand shackled in a green inmate jumpsuit. The prosecution had to ask if it was possible to unshackle one of his hands to be sworn in. It was, and they did. He told the jury he was currently serving life without parole at Smith State Prison for murder, child cruelty, concealing a death, and that the victim in that case was his daughter, Amani Gabrielle Moss. He went on to detail his relationship with the defendant. They met in church, she was a pre-K teacher, Tiffany abused Amani, they lost custody, got it back, moved 1130 times. You know the story. In September of 2013, after moving to the Veranda Chase apartments, Amon testified that he noticed Amani was getting thinner and thinner. He was working those two full-time jobs for a total of 16 hours a day, Monday through Friday. He rarely saw the children throughout the week, and of course at this point, Amani was being homeschooled by Tiffany. But Amon was there with them on the weekends. And on those weekends, Amon noticed that Amani would try to eat a lot of food. When Amon was away at work, his wife would text him, telling him that Amani had put feces on the wall in a bowl of oatmeal on the desk. And though Amon never saw evidence of any of this, he believed his wife. One of those text messages Amon received from Tiffany, who he had saved in his phone as sexy wifey, came at 4.21 p.m. on October 10, 2013, and read, Amani burned her damn legs. I put aloe on them and put her in the room. SMH. She dropped her tub water on them. She said she wanted to see what would happen. Another message later that day read, And your child picked at her ass, not to mention her face. SMH. SMH being used here as shorthand for shaking my head. Amani dropping tub water on herself was one of two stories Tiffany told. The other was that she was cooking and spilled a pot of boiling water on her stomach. Amon claimed that when he got home and saw how severe Amani's burn was, he told Tiffany they needed to take her to a doctor. But Tiffany refused because she didn't want people to see how thin Amani was. And Amon again just agreed with his wife. The following day, October 14th, another text from Sexy Wifey stated Amani boo booed, by which she meant defecated, on the rug and refused to get it up. So I'll let you tell her. SMH, 
I'm not doing this with her today. Maybe she'll listen to you. And the next day, October 15th, Tiffany texts Amon again at 11.49 a.m. I'm sorry, babe. I told you I wouldn't call or text you at work with Amani's BS. I was just frustrated. SMH. My bad, though. Won't happen again. Amani was clearly suffering due to her injuries and the fact that she was being deprived of food. But Tiffany was annoyed with her, quote, BS. According to Amon's testimony on October 24, 2013, he came home after his shift at his first job briefly stopped at the apartment, and then headed to his second. But there was a problem, because the family's Chevy Trailblazer kept overheating. So he went into his second job, and his boss sent him home to work on his truck. While he was outside in the parking lot of the apartment working on the vehicle, Tiffany texted him a picture of food she had made and told him she had fed the kids. Between 10.30 and 11 p.m., Amon finished up the truck and went into the apartment. As he was in the kitchen, Tiffany called him into the bathroom, saying something was wrong with Amani. When he walked into the bathroom, Amani was there in the tub, and it looked like she was having a seizure. So on the 24th, you found her in the, ba- in the bathtub, and did it look to you like Amani was having a seizure? Um, that's my knowledge. Yes, I know you're not a doctor, yeah. but what did she look like? She was, uh, she was, she was shaking, like you know. Could she speak? Uh, she was trying to say something. She wasn't speaking much. She was, you know. Were, were her eyes moving at all? They, they were going uh, from left to right. So, after Tiffany said we can't call the doctor, we can't take her to the hospital. What'd you do with her? Kept her in the room. In which room? In her room. I mean, did you put her on the floor or where did you put her? Um, on a mat, on a mattress, and um, and on the floor. Um, Amon, did she ever get up out of that bed? No, she didn't. After the seizure thing, no, she didn't. Did you go in and check on her in, in the days that follow? Yes. Um, I was trying to, excuse me, sorry about that. Yes, I did. And um, I was trying to feed her through a star, uh, uh, feed her <laughs> through a spoon with Infamil. Okay. What were you trying to feed her? Infamil, like a, like a liquid diet, but it wasn't working. What do you mean it wasn't working? It wasn't working. Well, I mean, did she spit it back up, or did she not be able to swallow it, or did it spill on the bed? And when you say not working... Uh, what I'm talking about, I'm um, talking about her weight. Okay. As far as, you know, she was swallowed, but it wasn't, you know, as far as... What I'm saying, it was beyond repair. Um, at that time, was she able to get up herself and go to the bathroom? No, sir. Um, was she going to the bathroom in the bed? Yes, sir. Um, did you ever see any any uh, sores or, or anything like that on her? Like bed sores or just sores? Just sores around her bottom or sores uh, from laying in the bed, anything like that? Uh, she had, she had far the her, um, where she got scarred at, it was, um, Healing around her stomach. Okay. Father, the scab. Could she talk to you at that point? She wasn't talking. Um, um, would you agree that she was in pretty bad shape at that time? She was in bad. She was in bad state. Amon, did you take her to the doctor then? I did not take her to the doctor, sir. Why not? Uh, I really can't explain it. I, I was trying to... Uh, I was trying to fix something, like I said, you know, I'm not God, but I'm trying to fix something irreversible or beyond repair. What I should have did, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, finish your sentence. Uh, What I should have did was when I said, when the incident happened, I called 911, and when I didn't, it was, I put myself in bad bind, sir. 
What was Tiffany telling you about what you needed to do at that point? Um, she was saying that we can't go, we can't call 911, we can't do that. Um, we got to hide the body. Well, what she um, tell, why did she why did she tell you that we can't call 911? I mean, you're this child's father. Um, because she said, uh, I'm on probation, I don't want to go to jail. As his child seized in the bathtub and then was unable to walk or talk, Amon and Tiffany's concerns were for themselves and their other two children. Not once, even as he sat there on the stand, was there any concern shown for Amani. According to Amon, Amani was placed in her bedroom on October 24th, and besides him attempting to feed her a little infamil formula, she was left there in her bedroom, unable to move or talk, as life in the Moss household carried on, while Amani died in the next room. Amon went to work. Tiffany cared for her other two children. They shared meals and watched TV as Amani slowly faded away. On October 28, 2013, Tiffany called Amon at work and told him that Amani had died. After learning that his daughter was dead, Amon continued working. He finished his shift at his first job at 3.30 p.m. and then headed to the apartment. When he arrived home, Tiffany was on the couch watching TV and the other two children were playing. Amani was dead, but it didn't even interrupt their daily lives. Amon testified that he went into Amani's room and it was clear she was gone. She was there lying on the floor, cold and lifeless. He stayed in the room for a few moments and then he and Tiffany talked about getting rid of her body. And since she had a history of running away, reporting her missing, and making it look like she had just taken off on her own. Amon claimed this was all Tiffany's idea, and he only went along with it because he was, quote, trying to fix a problem he couldn't fix. Getting rid of Amani's body would have to wait, though, because he had to go and work his shift at his second job. So he did. After his second job, he came home and Tiffany and the other two children were sleeping. So he went into Amani's room and stayed with her body a while. Amon testified that this was his way of grieving. Eventually, he went into the living room and slept on the couch as he normally did. Apparently, he and Tiffany didn't share a bed. The next day, he went to work, came home after his first job around 3.30, and this time he went into Amani's room wrapped her up in a blanket, and moved her into the computer room. He and Tiffany talked some more about getting rid of the body. And according to Amon, at one point Tiffany said to him, We're on some criminal mind-type stuff. The following day, surprise, surprise, Amon went to work again. But this time, after working his second shift, he went to Walmart and bought a bag of charcoal, a tin trash can, a lighter, and lawn garbage bags. Amon had purchased these items in order to, in his own words, cremate the body. Walmart has surveillance, of course, and Amon was captured on video making this late-night Walmart run on October 30, 2013. He went back to the apartment and left the trash can, lighter, and charcoal in the Chevy Trailblazer, but carried up the trash bags and then went to sleep. The next morning was Halloween, and as usual, Amon went to work. He testified that while he carried on his normal routine, so did Tiffany. In fact, Tiffany Moss had been doing Amani's schoolwork to make it seem like Amani was still alive. It seems that some part of Amani's homeschool program was online, and Tiffany didn't want to raise any alarm bells. She then went to Anna's Linens for a new comforter and sheets. Investigators recovered not only a receipt of Tiffany's purchase, but also surveillance video of her making said purchase and paying in cash. She also made a quick target run and bought medicine for the two other kids because they had a cough and a fever. At some point, she cleaned and flipped the mattress and put the new sheets, pillows, and comforter 
on the bed to make it look like Amani was never there. Tiffany then fed her own two children and dressed them all up in their costumes, and they went out trick-or-treating, making sure to snap photos to send to her sister as well as Amon. This twit celebrated Halloween with her own two children as their sibling and her stepdaughter lie dead in the next room. I want to point out here that this was just par for the course for Tiffany, because though she had abused Amani, was relentlessly cruel to her, and starved the little girl to death, when it came to the other two children, her two children, there were no reported incidents of abuse, and by all accounts the children were happy, healthy, and well-fed, and obviously provided medication when it was needed. Unfortunately, the non-biological child of a step-parent being singled out like this isn't unheard of, and there's actually a name for it. It's called the Cinderella Effect. According to Psych Varsity, the Cinderella Effect is a consistent pattern of abusive behaviors between adults towards children who are not their biological kin. And while studies vary wildly on the statistical risk of a child being abused or killed by a step-parent, anywhere from 16 to 100 times more likely than that of a biological parent, they all do agree that the risk is higher. It's just to what extent. Back to the story. That Halloween night, Amon came back to the apartment after his second job. He claimed on the stand that again he went and sat with Amani's body and that he was stalling and didn't actually want to go through with getting rid of his daughter's body so he went to sleep. Though Amon claimed he didn't want to go through with the plan, the day after Halloween, he would. Of course, that was after he got off work. While he was at work, sexy wifey got her criminal mind on and set the stage to make it appear that Amani was acting out. You know, so they could claim she ran away? At 3.03 p.m., she texted Amon. My bad, babe. I was on the phone with Amani's teacher. Amani wouldn't even talk to her. SMH. After Amon got off work that night, the plan to get rid of Amani's body was officially set in motion. And there are just some things you gotta hear for yourself. So she's already in the blanket, so I'll take her to the room and, you know, and wrap her out the blanket. And, um, you know, I'm, at that time, like I said, I'm not familiar with rigor mortis, but it done set in. And it was hard to bend the body, and that's where the duct tape came in, involved in. And um, at that time, uh, Tiffany's in there in the bedroom with me, uh, helping me do this. You don't have to be familiar with rigor mortis. Okay. Did you have to, did you have to force her legs? Fold. Yes, sir. And did you and Tiffany do that together? Yes, sir. Um, did you have to sort of force her arms down by her side? Yes, sir. Um, and did you and Tiffany do that together? Yes, sir. Um, it seems like it would be difficult for one person to wrap duct tape around the little girl's body. How did that happen? Uh, that is very difficult. Did Tiffany help you with that? Yes, she did. Um, Amon, you, your daughter's been dead for three days now. How difficult was it to get her folded up like that? Very, very much difficult. Were there sounds? Uh, kind of like, I guess, a, like cracking sound. I can't explain. I don't know what to compare it to, what I'm saying. And... After you got her duct taped together, what happened then? After that, she helped me, you know, because um, she, she's a lot more heavier than she was before to put, the, you know, put her in the uh, lawn bag. Um, where was the trash can at that point? Trash can was in the um, vehicle, the uh, trail bag. And did, w once you got Imani into the trash bag, what did you do then? Um, from that moment, uh, um, you know, I tied up the bag, the trash bag that, that she was in, 
And then I took another bag, and she took, I think Tiffany took the blankets and stuff that she had and put them all in the other cell. Now, the blankets came from where? The comforter. Her uh, comforter bed, her um, uh, blanket that she was wrapped into. Um, but whose bed was it? Uh, that was Imani. Was that bed um, soiled? Was it? I mean, was there? Was there? Was there? Uh, where she had gone in the bathroom in the bed? Yes. What did you do with the mattress? Um, I know uh, Tiffany said she had cleaned the mattress. So you packed one garbage bag with blankets and, and mm -hmm. were there clothes in it? Yes. And so you have two of these trash bags, one of them with your daughter. And what do you do then? Uh, from that, then um, I take the trash bag and then the body and I, and I put it in the back of the trailblazer. Um. And later on that night, did you did you leave the apartment complex and try and find a place? Yes. Who was with you while you were doing that? Um, my wife and my two other little kids. So where did you go from the apartment with the body of your daughter in the back? Um, right now, um, at, that, at that moment, I'm really out of it. I'm just driving. Um, I go to a park, and I think it's in Warrenville, but there's a park. Whose idea was it to go to Bethesda Park? Um, I really didn't know. We were just driving. I was, she said, we got to be. I didn't know where to go. I'm just driving at the time. And what's Tiffany telling you at this time? Just find a spot. At any point during this, are you thought, thinking about that I need to call police? I need to do something? Yes. But you didn't. Why? I felt like I was already messed up. So did you end up off of Satellite Boulevard? Yeah, that was uh, before I got there. Um, I ended up driving all the way to Stone Mountain. Just, you know, just driving down um, back roads. And what were you looking for? I said I was looking for, I told her I was looking for a spot, but I really saw I didn't really want to do it. But, um... I'm just saying that we just, I'm, I'm stalling, I'm just driving. And we all the way in Stone Mountain, and I, that's how I end up on satellite. So tell me where, and, and your other two kids are in the, back, in the car? They're in the back seat. So you end up off a of satellite, and where did you go there? Um, I know satellite is uh, real long. I ended up on the uh, Swanee side of satellite. Um, it's a, I think a wildlife thing over there. And I ended up pulling the vehicle, uh, in the wildlife and going up a little dirt road. Um, and we went a long trail. I ended up going into like a wooded area. What'd you do then? Um, from that point, you know, I, I cut the car off. The kids is in the back seat. She's in the patent side. Um, I get out the car, left the lights on, cut the car off. Um, uh, I popped the trunk, uh, the trunk of the trailblazer. Um, I, I, I opened the thing. She got out the padding side. Um, I lifted the trash can out. Um, I opened the bag of I opened the bag of uh, charcoal and poured it in the tin can. In the, yeah, the trash can, the tin can. And from that point, um, <coughs> she uh, she helped me open the bag up where, you know, my body, you know, wrapped up in duct tape. She helped me put her um, body in the uh, tin can. Did you put her head up or head down? Uh, uh, head up. Did you have to force her into it? Uh, kind of, yeah. So not not really forced. I just had to angle. Um, I had to put her at an angle. After you put Imani in that garbage can, what did you do then? Um, I sprinkled some um, lighter fluid 
um, you know, on the body and um, uh, Chaco. And what? And then, uh, you know, I light, I took a charcoal and I lighted it on um, fire and I dropped it in the uh, tin can. So did it start to burn? It started to flame real, uh, real big. And I, so what were you doing at that point? Um, I was, I was standing out and, you know, I was standing, she was out there with me. I mean, did y'all say anything or would you just stand and watch the fire? Um... As I did it, um, I, I couldn't, I, like, I really didn't, I turned back and I didn't watch it, and she said, I can't watch this. And it just burned. How long did you let it burn? Um, not that long. I want to say I let it burn for about, like, maybe five minutes, and I put it out. Why? Because it wasn't, it wasn't working in the way I thought it was supposed to work. And what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I know it sounds ridiculous, you know, I'm thinking it's like cremation. I don't know anything about that. So you thought that you you were going to reduce your daughter to ashes in that trash can? It didn't work like that. Y'all heard that son of a bitch chuckle as he talked about attempting to cremate his daughter, right? Just checking. Amon claimed that after that failed attempt, Tiffany wanted him to just bury Amani's body. But he didn't want to do that. So he took Amani's body, the children, and Tiffany and went home. The next day, he went to both jobs driving the trailblazer with Amani's charred body in the trash can inside the SUV. He got off work around 12.50 a.m. and called his old roommate and friend, the one we talked about last episode that he and Tiffany lived with right after they got married. Anyhow, he called this man up and asked him to meet him at the QT gas station. Amon picked him up and took him for a ride in a nearby parking lot. While they were riding along, Amon told him that Amani was dead in the back of the truck he was riding in and that he had done something stupid. The friend flipped shit as he should and told him to call 911 and let him out of the truck. Amon went back to the apartment and told Tiffany, quote, this ain't right. We got to call 911. Tiffany said no, she wasn't losing her kids and going back to jail. So she got her kids dressed, took the trash can containing Amani's body and the two trash bags full of soiled blankets and clothing out of the trailblazer and hauled ass to her mom's house with the kids. And with that, Amon's testimony was over. Tiffany Moss declined to cross-examine him. He stepped down from the stand and Tiffany watched stoically as Amon was paraded in front of the defense table, his shackles clanging as he made his way out of the courtroom. Through the testimony of the next several witnesses, the physical evidence against Tiffany Moss was laid out. There was a receipt for the Walmart items and the receipt from Anna's linens found on the kitchen counter. In the two black trash bags found near the metal trash can, investigators found soiled clothing, towels, blankets, blue latex gloves, a plastic bag from Anna's linens, and a cleared zippered comforter bag. Inside the Chevy Trailblazer, a Duraflame lighter, Anna's linens reward card, Target receipt, a Walmart bag containing ripped pieces of a charcoal bag, and a bottle of lighter fluid. Amani's room had been recently cleaned to include an area of the floor where there were visible stains. Amani's clothes hung neatly in the closet. The mattress had been cleaned and flipped, and the bedding Tiffany purchased, the creases from the newly purchased comforter still visible in the crime scene photos. And further, Tiffany Moss's fingerprint had been located on that tin trash can. Amani's body had been found in. But perhaps the most damning evidence was something that all of us have in our kitchens at this very moment. And that was a cabinet full of food. There was a pantry full of Doritos, cereal, peanut butter crackers, oatmeal, pasta, and canned goods. A refrigerator complete with leftovers from meals prepared for this family Meals that Amani sure as hell wasn't allowed to eat. The last witness for the state was a deputy chief medical examiner, Michelle Stauffenberg, 
who walked the jury through the autopsy. Tiffany Moss sat again emotionless as photos of Amani's body were entered into evidence. Jurors were moved to tears at the little girl's condition. But Tiffany, her stepmother, she couldn't even fake a single teardrop. The medical examiner testified that all of Amani's test results for drugs, alcohol, and poisons came back negative and unequivocally stated that starvation was the only thing that could have caused the injuries that killed her. Amani Moss starved to death in a house full of food. Michelle Stauffenberg then explained what Amani would have experienced and how obvious it would have been to her so-called parents. The first thing that would happen in the early stages is Amani would experience hunger pains. She would probably feel hungry. She would be asking for food, looking for food, craving food. Following that, the next step would be apathy, fatigue, not able to do her usual activities. From there, she would become more and more listless, eventually lethargic, and mental status changes. She wouldn't feel like moving around much. She wouldn't have much energy. There would be extreme weight loss that would be visible. And then, finally, death. And with that, the state rested. Tiffany Moss chose not to put up any defense. Judge Hutchinson asked again if she wanted to present a case or testify, and she responded, No, sir, Your Honor. It was time for closing arguments. Here's Assistant District Attorney Lisa Jones. This is so different. Maybe this is another place where this case is different than lots of others. Because in a lot of murder cases, it's a shooting or it's a stabbing, and it is awful and it is horrible but it is fast and it is quick. But not in this case, because in this case, it was intent day after day after day. When that defendant got up and she made that choice, I'm gonna cook chicken and rice tonight, but you're not gonna have any. I'm gonna bake cookies, can you smell those? Can you smell those cookies and those brownies? Because I'm craving chocolate but you're not gonna have any. I'll feed your little sister with all the food that you saw in those pictures in that pantry. I'll cook that food, I'll make that food for them and for me and for your dad, but not for you. Day after day, you wanna talk about intent? You wanna talk about malice? That's what that is. Every day you get up and you make the choice that you will not feed that child. That is malice murder. That is intent. But it didn't stop there. It continued. Because what does she do? What, is, what happens? What happens on October 10th? She sends a text message about Imani. She burned her damn legs. That's the text message. I think she was reaching for the leftovers on the back of the stove. Now, if you believe the text messages and what her account was, she pulled a pot of hot food or water down on herself and burned herself. If you, if you rely on the text messages, if you lie, rely on what Amon told you, he told you she called and said that she spilled something like that. That's what it was. All right, that's one of the text messages. But the text messages continue, so look at those. And then she says, Amani burned her legs with her tub water. Okay, which is it? Is it a pot off the stove when she's seeking food, like Dr. Stauffenberg said she would get to that point when she was so hungry, that she's seeking food and trying to find the leftovers that apparently she wasn't even entitled to? Did she burn herself with the pot that fell off the stove or did she burn herself with her tub water? Now ask yourself the question, why, why does she have a tub water thing that she spills on herself? Because she wasn't in the bathroom in the tub. Clearly, why does she have tub water that's so incredibly hot that she says she poured her water on her legs because she wanted to see what it would do? None of it makes any sense. Because if she spills her tub water on herself and she scolds herself, well, who got the tub water so hot? Maybe it's the adult at the house. 
But why is she not in the bathtub? Because she's lying in that room in her own personal prison because that's where she lived and that's where she stayed. So either this defendant dumped the scalding hot tub water on her and spilled it because I submit to you that child didn't pour tub water on herself because she wanted to see what would happen. By the day that she does that, and you look at the text messages on October 10th of 2013, she was fatigued, she was starving, she was probably having difficulty walking. But she's searching for food, maybe if you believe that one. But what does the defendant do? She puts a little owl on her legs and puts her back in the room. That's what she put in the text message. I rubbed some aloe on her legs and put her back in the room. You remember the testimony of Dr. Stauffenberg? Those were first or second degree burns. You can see the discoloration on that child's pigment when you look at those pictures that are horrible to look at. But I urge you, you cannot look away, ladies and gentlemen. And you see the burn, eight and a half by eight inches on that child's midsection. You see that burn, that she laid there. Either she laid there because she laid in a bed where tub water that was scalding was poured on her, or she pulled a pot of boiling food down on herself. Whichever one, does it really matter? She got burned. She got hurt. And she needed to go to see a doctor and get medical attention. And she got none of it. Because they didn't call for help, they didn't call 911, and she put a little aloe on her legs and put her back in her room because that's where she needed to stay. Then she th sends on October 14th of 2013, Amani boo-booed on, on the rug and she refuses to get it up. This is after she's burned, after she's hungry, and maybe about a week before she has an episode that Amon told you about, that she became completely incapacitated. But what is she doing? She's texting Amon. She boo-booed on the rug, and that child refuses to clean it up. Every day, when you see those work records, for 16 hours a day, this defendant had to spend every day with the child that she resented. Amani represented to her everything she hated. She cost her her job. She cost her her career. She was why she went to jail. It was why she was on probation. It was Amani's fault she was beaten because she didn't do her homework fast enough. This defendant lived with the person in the next room who she despised, who she did not want, who she wanted to be rid of. To this defendant, every single day, that child represented that to her. She was that. Amani was nothing. She was a nuisance. She was ugly. She was nothing. She was a pain. She was disposable. She was trash. <laughs> she was trash. But she wasn't. She wasn't. She was a child. And she was a granddaughter. And she was a niece. And she was a friend who, to kids who needed one. And she was a student who brought joy to a teacher. She was a daughter. She was Amani. <laughs> she was Amani. And she mattered. She mattered. When Mr. Porter came before you in his opening statement, he told you that sometimes justice is difficult and doing the right thing is hard. But ladies and gentlemen, he also told you that you cannot look away. You cannot flinch from what is here before you. And what is here before you is the evidence in this case. 
And yes, some of it is difficult and it is tough to look at. But you cannot turn away from it. You must face it. You must face it head on because what those pictures are and what these pieces of evidence are and what this represents is Imani Moss's life. It is what that child endured at the hands of this defendant. It is her life and it proves to you exactly what is alleged in that indictment. It proves it to you in each and every element. It proves to you that this defendant intended to kill that child, that she murdered Imani Moss, that she starved her to death. And then she covered it up by throwing her out like she was trash. As adults, we are the caregivers of children. We have a responsibility to take care of them. We have a responsibility to feed them and clothe them and take them to the doctor when they are sick and comfort them when they are hurt and take away their pain and love them. And there are people who wait their whole lives and they never get to be parents. They want a child and they never get to be parents, but they want one. And sometimes in life, we are so lucky that we get to have a child come into our lives, either because we adopt them and we love them or because we get to have someone else's and we can love them as our own. But as a parent, what you are set to do is you are to protect your children from the evils in this world and you do that at all costs. You do that at all costs. But Amani Moss, she lived with the evils in this world. The evils in this world and in her life live in the next room. And so when you go back into that jury room and you deliberate and you determine and you render a verdict that speaks the truth in this case based on the evidence that has been presented to you, the verdict in this case is clear. The verdict in this case that speaks the truth is this defendant is guilty. She is guilty of murder, felony murder, cruelty to a child, and concealing the death. She is guilty. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Porter told you sometimes justice is difficult and doing the right thing might be hard. But ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you, doing the right thing in this case it's not hard because the evilness in the world in this case stops today. It ends here with your verdict that speaks the truth. And the truth is, is she is guilty. That is the right thing. And in this case, it's not hard. And it wasn't hard for the jury. They found Tiffany Moss guilty on all charges. During the penalty phase, the state highlighted the immense amount of suffering Amani endured. District Attorney Danny Porter stated, There are some crimes that are so horrible, so heinous. The only balance you can pay is with your life. Justice demands the proper payment. Again, Tiffany Moss declined to present any mitigating factors. Judge Hutchinson excused the jury and addressed Tiffany, stating, I feel compelled to mention that, of course, since you've decided not to present any evidence in mitigation, there are certain things I want to make sure you've given consideration to. And then he listed them. She could testify, speak to the jury herself, use mitigation information gathered from her former and now standby counsel, have her family speak, but Tiffany chose not to present any evidence once again. 
After a two and a half hour deliberation, on April 30th, 2019, Tiffany Moss was sentenced to die by lethal injection. Before the ink was even dry on Tiffany's execution warrant, her stand-in counsel was already filing an appeal. One of those stand-in attorneys told the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that his office would file Tiffany's appeal, and he believed, based on a conversation he had with her in a holding cell after the trial, that she would allow that to happen. And further, appellate lawyers from the Capitol Defender's Office had already filed a motion for a new trial on Tiffany's behalf just hours after the final verdict. According to 11 Alive, Tiffany is now being represented by Josh Moore, the appellate director for the Office of the Georgia Capitol Defender. The appeal claims in part that Tiffany Moss suffered some type of brain damage, but that report has been sealed by the court, so its details are unknown. At the time of this recording, the appeal for a new trial is still making its way through the court system. In the aftermath of Amani's murder, according to AJC, two DFACS employees were fired and four others punished after it was found that the Division of Family and Children's Services failed to assess the risk to the child or to properly review the family's troubled history. Too little, too late for Amani Moss, a little girl who tried so many times to save herself, and so many times the system failed her. Something has to change. Amani Gabrielle Moss was 10 years old and full of life. She loved reading, dancing, cooking, making up songs, and going to church with her grandmother. She could often be found preaching a sermon to her stuffed bears and baby dolls. She was a friend to a bully, a joy to a classroom, and her life mattered. As always, you can find more information on this case or any of the others I've covered on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. New episodes drop every Thursday. I'll be bringing you an all new case next week. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.